0: Disclaimer. In this podcast, we discuss sexual themes in relation to cartoons. We are not here to explicitly sexualize the cartoons, but to talk about how exposure to these ideas in our youth evolved into the fetishes we have today. Coming soon to a television you watched long ago. To a channel that probably no longer exists. A cartoon that you don't quite remember about a guy that did a thing and it was really hot. Welcome to Fetish Fuel. We'd like to try this new diet cola. We call it nature's goodness. Uh, what's in it? 24 des Yeah. (coughs) (coughs) Sweet. Pleasing taste? some monsterism episode four growth welcome to the fourth episode of fetish fuel where this week we have special guest bull delamote is it Delamotte or delamote
1: uh, it's slightly french so delamote means of the earth Ooh, fancy
0: um well, it's not uh, my
1: surname i married into it so i <laughs> have to get it right
0: But yes, we have guest star Australian bodybuilder. He's huge, he's massive, he's very hard to miss because he really struggles to get through those door frames. It's Bull.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be on your show. I've listened to the first few episodes and I really like the subject matter you're tackling.
0: Tell my wonderful audience, what is your fetish?
1: Um, This is definitely going to be hitting on muscle growth. I think no one will be surprised to hear me say that because on social media, that is what I explore and enjoy and share, and um, we can definitely look at how previous media has influenced my journey into muscle growth fetish, and also there's a broader umbrella of growth, um, which which we which does occur, but I think it's muscle growth that really um, is my speciality.
0: Well, I'm sure back in school when they asked who your hero was i would not be surprised if you said godzilla because i do know you enjoy those big boys
1: yeah no i I probably would have said the hulk so he's not quite as big as godzilla
0: (laughs) and they just keep making godzilla bigger i was uh, reading an article just this week um talking about the growth of him through the decades Mm. and there was um this wonderful uh maths thing someone did to work out how big he'd be in like the next film uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you?
1: I am 30 th- 36 for a few days longer, and I turned 37 um, later this month.
0: Oh, well, happy birthday in advance to you. I asked that because I was curious. What age, as a bodybuilder yourself, did you actually start getting into that?
1: Did I start bodybuilding? Yeah,
0: like just weights and growing muscle deliberately. Um...
1: So back when I lived in the UK as a teenager, I did have some home weights I made some attempts with, but I was always too scared to um, go to a gym. I was always very intimidated because I was a skinny, nerdy young man and um, bullied at school, the the usual um, route right there. And so gyms were like the place, you know, don't go there, that's where the bullies live. And you'll be laughed at, even though I really wanted to pursue bodybuilding and growth. So it took all of my time till I was 20, and i just moved to New Zealand. I basically had a fresh start in a new town. And I was like, right, now I'm going to do it. I really, something i wanted to do all this time, and I'm going to get stuck in. And so I, I did, I got stuck in when I was about 20, and um yeah, I hadn't realized you go there with a few days, you realize you had nothing to be scared of the gym. Um, and just pursued it from there, competed.
0: When did you first start to compete?
1: I first did my first show, um, I think I was 22, so I've been training for about two years. Uh huh. Um, and I did my first show in New Zealand, the INBA South Pacific Championship, which was. Fortunately, it was a national competition for New Zealand, but held in my town. So uh, I really got to experience that. A great experience it was too.
0: Well, clearly to keep you doing it for the rest of your life.
1: Well, yes, there is that. But I have actually at this point retired from bodybuilding for health issues. But um, all all the old bull media is still there, you know, bodybuilding stuff. And I will still have a connection to fitness. I've just stepped back from... Um, pursuing growth 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 getting bigger bigger just for my health
0: well i always joke about this in my own art but like furry art and the like does lie to people about the physical restrictions people actually (laughs) have to deal with in the real world
1: yes yeah i mean it's it's not so easy as um taking a pill or injection or magic potion um to gain this size there's a lot of physical work and a physical effect on yourself as well.
0: I know I've seen plenty of uh, your posts where you show photos of you early on in your journey and how you are now. And the physical transformation you've gone through yourself is absolutely amazing. I mean, like you can fit four of your former self into how huge
1: you are now. Thank you. Yeah. and, And that's really what the whole process of muscle growth is about. It's about that transformation is what I always wanted to achieve um and got to live the dream and do it
0: well let's get into the beef of what the show is about which is all about cartoons and such i'm actually very impressed with bull as a guest who came prepared i asked him to be part of an interview and within like two days he had sent me a full spreadsheet of references which he had put timestamps in very very impressive
1: I mean, it was fun. I mean, I'm on this person. Once you give me a, a project, I get stuck in, and it just—it was just one Saturday morning. It's like last Saturday morning. I just want to come up with ten references, uh, just to throw on the whiteboard, and um, I couldn't just stop. I, I like—I had to go and find the exact thing I could remember in my head, and like go on YouTube and trawling through these little clips and things, and it was, it becomes a nostalgia trip. It really does become a journey down memory lane when you go and see those things. Uh, particularly for me, you know, being so old that I'm in my 30s, I'm looking at things in the 80s um, and just going, wow, what a different time that was.
0: I mean, it's amazing just how impactful cartoons can be on you as a child for you to remember them for the rest of your life. Just last weekend, mm. I was searching through Disney+. Plus. And I put on the old Timon and Pumbaa cartoon from the 90s. Because mm-hmm. they had this whole spin-off. It had very little to do with the actual Lion King. It was just these were mascot characters. We can put them in a generic I cartoon. That. Did you
1: watch that at the time when, when it came out? I think I saw a few
0: odd episodes, but it just crossed mm-hmm. my mind. And I saw it on Disney. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. And I had my roommate Pixel next to me. And we watched the first three episodes. And he kept commenting saying he could remember watching this exact thing as a child but he wouldn't have been able to remember any of the plot had i not put it on but he was just really spooked by how much detail he remembered
1: yeah it's like that i mean um sometimes it would literally be i I would find a clip and suddenly it's like uncovering it's not like a repressed memory. It's like going on an archaeological dig. You brush away the dust, and there it is. This memory, you're like, you're like, oh my god, I had this on VHS tape, and I would watch that over and over again, and I could practically know the lines off by heart of this one episode of this cartoon, um, and such. And it's in- it's incredible, yeah, the way it's, called, it's like a little time capsule that takes you back to that time.
0: I mean, um, I've been having this conversation with a few people lately on just how. Important VHSs were to me personally growing up because they were just these things you watched again and again and again. And I don't know if kids these days do that with the streaming platforms because obviously with a VHS, you're very limited by the options you have available to you. So that's why you watch that same thing again.
1: I would have to ask one of the kids of today. I, I would imagine they do, or a parent, even a parent would mm. be an option, wouldn't it? Um, but I think they do, actually. I think my, my, my sister, she's got two nieces, and, um, and when they were growing up, I remember it was a case of, yeah, put the same Peppa Pig on, Peppa Pig. Um, and I think children just like repetition. They don't get bored of something. Familiar is good for them. Um, and I would say, ha- hazard to say that, yes, even with streaming services, they will just go straight back to the same... Hmm. Um, cartoons again and again if they've enjoyed them.
0: It's clearly something I do as a 20 year old now that, well 20 something I'm nearly 30, but um, I don't yeah. seem to re-watch things as much anymore, but particularly with streaming services now because new content's constantly coming out you're not pulled as much to go and re-watch stuff?
1: No, it's impossible to go and re-watch stuff really. I mean the amount of things like, oh there's this, so that show just this morning I was reading a discussion On Reddit, someone was like, "Why don't people buy DVDs and Blu-rays like they used to anymore?" And it's because of streaming. You know, it's like we've got all we've got, still got DVDs, but they never get taken out because we're never rewatching those stuff. Even though, like, because there's always new stuff to watch. Like every weekend, it's like, "Oh, we've got to catch up on this episode or that episode."
0: In terms of recent times on things I've rewatched the most, it would probably have to be the Netflix Sabrina series.
1: I gave up on that at the end of season two. I was like, I'm done. I can't do it. There was just, I forget what it was, but it just annoyed me the plot lines that they did. I'm like, they've wasted it. I, um, so I haven't watched any further than season two.
0: No, I think I've watched that about eight times now, but it was what—it was a thing where I was doing that traditional watch of something where when a new series came out, you would rewatch everything up to that point. But it's one of the few shows I've ever done that with myself. Yeah. Other than that, the most viewed thing I've ever watched is probably Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because I did have all the VHSs for that.
1: You can dive into that. That's the one that shows you, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Um, as it happens, actually, if I'm feeling really like I just want to chill out, not think, not be engaged, play on my phone, but have TV on, I'll put on Star Trek The Next Generation mm, and mm-hmm. listen to listen to Jean-Luc Picard. And, you know, that's very... It's a little bit of drama, but it's not too drama. And it's like very familiar. And it's just like, yeah, those are the good old days. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I also relate with that, actually, because at the moment I'm going through a whole podcast phase where when I'm working, I put on a podcast just to have it on in the background. And it's usually a podcast talking about a TV show because I've watched the TV show so much now. I want to experience that show in a new way, but without watching the show again. So, hearing people talk about it is so fun because I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about without even watching the episodes along with them, but before mm-hmm. that I was do I'd watched um Star Trek Voyager about five times just on repeat mm-hmm. while I was working. It's just that episodic thing where none of the episodes really connect with each other, so you can just properly veg out on any episode but now uh, of course, with um t v everyone wants to do the long arc stories, so you <laughs> You have to pay attention.
1: Yeah, well, I, I can see, I I kind of see pros in that. I do enjoy the long form, serialized, what the other word it's called, serialized storytelling that they go for that. But um, I also see, yeah, what we've lost in the episodic structure as well.
0: So let's get into muscles. Lay down on the therapy lounger, cheslong, whatever it's called, and let's take a step back in time. Where do
1: you want to begin? Where do I want to begin? Well, it's actually interesting. Um, the first reference I I would go back to, which I can probably name as the seed, the source of my growth, muscle growth fetish, would be so incredibly very young to have watched this. I could have been... Maybe four years old, maybe a bit a bit older. But it actually goes back to an episode of the classic, original My Little Pony series. Which was put on for my sister, I believe. Because I was really into Ghostbusters and that stuff. My sister wasn't My Little Pony. But we would always watch TV together. Um, and there was an episode called Fugitive Flowers. Where a group of sentient flowers weeds, they infiltrate the My Little Pony garden, and is during the night, they turn evil, and they put down roots in the garden, and they go undergo a massive growth spurt. They grow bigger, they grow bulkier, there's all these sounds of creaking and expanding, and um, I think that's the moment when I could first have picked up on growth in that way, as being this kind of ascent of power, and I when I saw the clip for the first time, because I was thinking about uncovering references, I was like, "Oh my god, I actually remember this!" It was like the archaeological thing I was telling you about—you blow away the dust, and there it is—this this piece of of old memory you you completely forgotten, but once it's there, it's so fresh and vivid. You're like, "Wow, that really must have impacted me; must have changed me." Well. Y- <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, when I saw your list and saw this as the number one thing you put down, I was completely flabbergasted by it because you're such a macho presenting kind of person to see such a feminine style show to be what you consider the seed. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, me and my sister, would, we would watch cartoons together. She preferred My Little Pony. I wanted Ghostbusters. But in the day, we, we still shared that experience. Um and actually, as I will quite happily say, I would watch the new Friendship is Magic, My Little Pony. When the brony phenomenon was first taking off, I dipped into that and was taking a look around it myself. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a pony in there called Bog Biceps. I was very happy um, with that inclusion.
0: <laughs> I know that Netflix recently brought out a CGI reboot of it, which I I do kind of want to watch because it looks like the animation looks really good
1: yeah i've I've, uh, I've heard of it um i haven't ventured that one myself
0: but i wouldn't call myself a bronie at all i just dip into every cartoon here and yeah. there
1: <laughs> yeah that's it um so yeah that's that's what i remember as being the first one and more than any more than the plot it was just this once i heard the sounds the sounds of the growth and the expansion it's like creaking it's almost like leather that the sound effects artists have included and and that for me is like very, very impactful. I can remember um, one time I was at a dentist, and I'm sitting in a dentist chair, and they activate the button which makes it tilt back or rise, or whatever it does. And the leather chair started creaking. There's this, crrr, and I was like, "Why does why this? Why is this making me feel a bit turned on? Just <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't understand." Uh, once I saw the. Resaw the cartoon i kind of understood that that sound is really deeply embedded in me oh
0: yeah that that creaking is so associated with muscle growth across all media it's such a um trope of the theme
1: so yeah that episode came out i discovered in the 15th of november 1986 so that might be one of the earlier references you've had on your show
0: uh, other than Looney Tunes, quite possibly. I'm trying to think of anything else which has been mentioned.
1: But if we want to go even further back, I don't think you've mentioned this one, talking about growth. There was a very classic cartoon I'm sure a lot of people in the know will be familiar with. It called King Size Canary. Now, that one came out as a classic cartoon in 1947. So that's old. But I remember it being on TV. I must have called it somehow, somewhere, to watch this cartoon tale involving just a very simple plotline, a very cat-and-mouse cartoon involving a growth potion. And they fight over it, they both get control over it, and they both get bigger and bigger and bigger. They outgrow the house, they outgrow the city. They end up so big, they're as big as the planet by the end.
0: <laughs> I know and... plenty of macro fetishists do have like generally speaking when people dream of growing bigger they want to be as big as a skyscraper but i do see here and there ones which go as big as a planet and i'm it's so ludicrous and i'm so amused by it
1: oh look in furry big as a planet is just the starting point for some people they'll outgrow universes galaxies multiverses they just want to be the biggest and there's like a you know, ruler measuring contest. Who gets to be the biggest? Because it's like, oh, I outgrew the solar system. I outgrew the universe. <laughs> and other people just outgrow reality itself. And I don't think you can go past that. But they try.
0: And I thought gays were the only size queens.
1: Oh no, <laughs> definitely not.
0: I just uh, put the, the clip on, and I would. It's very, very funny. I'll have to. Um start putting together some blog posts just to um, reference things we talk about in these mm-hmm. podcasts but when the cat and the mouse are both trying to outgrow each other in that by swinging the potion that is some classic cartoonage.
1: absolutely very classic but i i can remember it's one of those references that i can remember watching and it's like that is growth it's not specifically muscle growth that one it's very cartoon very top heavy is what i remember but um yeah where are they going
0: um talking about old cartoons like that when i think about growth myself because there's the second podcast we're talking about muscles but the thing with muscles Mm. is there are usually a lot of them and people always want more muscle so i don't mind doing a second episode on this (laughs) but um when i think about old cartoons and growth there's an old looney tunes cartoon called hide and go tweet where Mm -hmm. it's a sylvester and tweety cartoon Ah. where The cat and the mouse are... No, not the cat and mouse. The cat and the bird are in bird. a doctor's office, and Tweety falls into a hide potion, which then turns them into this absolute behemoth freak of a bird. They're like... Yes. The five... big heavy
1: eyebrows, the Ben eyebrows.
0: Oh, I, I remember as a child watching this cartoon and being freaked the fuck out because it was such a monstrous visage. And um, they they even did some um toy versions of that Monster Tweety in Burger King, I
1: think. Oh wow, yeah, that would have been um, amazing.
0: <laughs> but that's how impactful that was as a visual in the franchise that it was enough to make a toy out of it. Not even just it's like very, a regular a very toy, but a fast food Tweety, toy.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah.
0: But, you know, ah, oh, I'm. I say it every single episode, but I fucking love a hide and a Jekyll and Hyde moment just for that mm. instant alteration and the huge contrast between the two characters but yeah Hyde and Go Tweet really burned itself into my brain as just freaky deaky
1: well yeah I mean it's a Jekyll and Hyde but that's that's the exact same thing that the Hulk is in Marvel the Marvel Universe it is basically taking Jekyll and Hyde and making it green isn't it because you've got the My Madam Man and you've got the big monster Main differences with the Hulk because he's he is huge, there's muscles everywhere. It's it's real statement, a visual statement of that power, which is what bodybuilders pursue, and that's why it's so appealing. Do you think um, so? You've mentioned
0: the Hulk a couple of times. Which like era of the Hulk do you think had an impact on you?
1: I can definitely remember seeing the live action one with Lufringo, the Fringo, the, the that classic mm-hmm. transformation and. That the piece that my memory lingers on would be the clothes ripping the hulking out of the clothes and the way they did that on TV um, and I can remember in my pursuit of muscle fetish videos trying to replicate that you know you get old shirts that the ideal is the ones that you used to own and you've just outgrown them so you put them back on and you flex and and they rip apart. Um, sometimes generous fans would donate me shirts in their size um, which they would ask me to you know hulk out of but it's that that media wise it's that shot of the clothes ripping of it peeling apart from the biceps exploding off the pecs that 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 show um, impacted upon me
0: well i have trouble just getting into old jeans so i imagine you have quite (laughs) the struggle getting into shirts which are a bit too small for you
1: yeah it's kind of fun though when when they're too small there's a thrill to say that as well, but it's not always the most comfortable option. Well, and jeans, yeah, you just don't even go there.
0: Well, thank God that we live in an era where shirts are mostly made of elastic.
1: I've never had to wear a button up shirt for work, so that's always been a good thing.
0: That's one of the most common things I actually see on social media when people do clothes bursting. It's usually shirts which have buttons because people like the button popping.
1: Oh yeah, they're no—they're the easiest to rip out of because the the cotton fabric, the woven cotton is is the most rigid almost, but still mm-hmm. got some give. Um, you put on a t-shirt, it might be super tight, but it takes so much for that t-shirt to rip in the right places because that's just you know the the fabric is a bit more stretchy and giving. Whereas you take a a shirt, a, co- a cuff or collar, that is tight, and it will rip in one sleep motion when you flex. And especially with buttons, that's even more dramatic. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> T-shirts don't really rip the way you think.
0: Are cartoons lying to us again?
1: Oh yes. <laughs> they do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh with the Hulk though and the whole shirt bursting theme, what I do love about that is when they keep the clothes on the characters. Not that they tear them off, but they keep them on. Because it's that mm. constant reminder when the character is on screen that they did grow, whereas when they tear it all off and they're just muscles, it's kind of like they fully take on that new persona, whereas I like visually that reminder that they were a geek or whatever before.
1: Yeah, good point, yeah, that that is good, yeah. Um, Talking a bit about that, going back to one of my cartoon references I have listed, I'm noticing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, Napoleon Bonafrog, Colossus of the Swamps, was basically a parody of the Hulk, um, that episode. And one of these punk frog mutants is zapped by the Shredder's mutagen ray, which hulks him out. He does the whole Hulk transformation. There's the clothes-ripping stuff in that scene, he's big and muscular. And, yeah, the clothes stay on him, which I really appreciate, actually, now you've mentioned that, because, like I say, it, he's got this really garish yellow shirt and it really is striking to see him as this big beast. Um, and he becomes dumb as well. He loses his intelligence. That's um, my favourite. Going, going back to that, <laughs> the, the hide trope, the, the caveman eyebrow, the kind of the Hulk. Um, it's not only size, but it comes at the expense of in, the intelligence.
0: Is that a kink for yourself as well, the dumbing down?
1: Probably no. I've never really explored that. I wanted that. Um I've always just been me just bigger. Me just bigger, so Yeah, but I, I can see the appeal, particularly um I can see the appeal in power exchange go goes, goes to that because having the big guy as the submissive and he's gonna um follow orders and be docile or stupid and the one in control is the intelligent one. There's definitely going to be some kink space there.
0: (laughs) I'm uh, watching the clip as you're talking and I'm really amused because he gets um, zapped twice. He gets zapped again towards the end where he's made even dumber, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he does. I I think the second one's even better. He's like, oh no, not again or something. Uh, Oh, so funny.
0: Uh, This was from 1987, this one. So I think it was definitely um, the golden age for ray guns.
1: That's it, the 80s and, and ray guns. Um, but we had that kind. Of, we had more, yeah, growth through science. The whole kind of mad scientist thing, I think, going on. Um, um, things like um, there was the gargoyles episode, um, metamorphosis, where Xanatos experiments and creates his own mutants to fight the the gargoyles, and that's he's kind of playing this kind of science role which is responsible for the transformation and the idea that it's for science. So the people being subjected to this aren't people that have put their hand up. So yes, please. I'd like to be turned into a mutant. That'd be awesome. Which it would be me. That would be me. Like, Hey, where do I sign? (laughs) Um, But there's always, always, always people. No, please. No, please don't do this. You know, kind of unwilling participants. Like in the gargoyles episode, it's the one of the brother, uh, Derek, and she's, he's infected with the serum. And it's not his wish. He's trying to reverse it. And he gets turned into this beautiful hulking black winged panther guy. And he's upset about it. It's like, I look so horrible. And even as a kid, I remember going, you don't look horrible to me. I, I, I think this is an improvement. In fact, Xenatos, <laughs> could you, yeah, where do I, where do I get this? <laughs> I was so at odds. Every time this happened, I mean, even as a kid, I was always so at odds with the people going, no, this is terrible. We have to find a cure for this condition. Um, I'm like, really? Do you have to do you not want to be like the the big scary beast? <laughs> so yeah, forced force muscle growth. Now, see that that definitely occurs in the cartoons, and that definitely I think had an impact on my interest.
0: Um on the topic of growth through science, I just remembered mm. an old cartoon I watched, which was from Do-do-do to look it up on wikipedia but there was this show called team galaxy okay which was by the same people who made martin mystery and totally spies
1: okay i'm nodding i'm not with you yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, i think it was from like the 2000s i want to say mm-hmm. but um yeah 2006 2007 uh you know totally spies though so you kind of know the style it would be in i assume yeah um, so and t-
1: Oh, not team, team galaxy. Yes, like squad. Right. Uh-huh,
0: yep. But there was this episode called Alien Brett. So the show was about this school in space where people were learning how to be like astronauts, I think.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and there was this episode called alien brett where the runt of the team who was called brett wanted to be stronger because he was the youngest one on the team he was really small and skinny so he Mm. decided to go to a, a big alien they had just captured and inject himself with the alien dna to make himself more muscular and through the course of the episode he grows and gets bigger you know the generic plot and then at the end he grows a second head and turns into the alien but, you know you gotta have a monster of the week but i remember yeah. watching this very much in passing because it was on saturday morning when i was just flicking through the channels and it's just another one of those ones which burned into my head and i do i do love me a weird tf so double heads i'm here for it
1: if i've watched that as a kid i i can really see i would have really gone for that one of my biggest loves as a, as a kid was the ghostbusters and there was Plenty of transformations galore in, in Ghostbusters, not just in the cartoon but in other media. Um, one time I was going back researching uh, my nostalgia and I was looking at old Ghostbusters comics and I can see there's ones where the Ghostbusters get infected with like alien viruses and they swell up, become really, really fat. Uh, there's ones where they get turned into helium balloons, they, see, <laughs> they grow extra heads or limbs. It's a TF. Um, Lover's Paradise, the old Ghostbusters stuff, I tell you.
0: Comics are just a whole of a world upon themselves. I remember picking up some Looney Tunes comics and just... It's this whole universe you've never seen before because it's trapped within the page. But so much of the stuff there, you know if you had seen it when you were younger, it would have really made an impact. Um, one yes. of the things I was sent recently was there was a Futurama comic about uh, Fry and Bender turning into donkeys because it was a Pleasure Island parody,
1: ah,
0: and it was right, like I Pleasure had, but I was just like I had no
1: idea this was a thing. But yeah, those those old comics and in Ghostbusters, yeah, they had an impact on me. There was an episode of the Ghostbusters show called Venkman, which is a, a literal muscle growth episode. Um, Peter Venkman is working out and he gets, no, weird science thing, he gets struck by a ray whilst working out and he is transformed into a muscular superhero that can fly. But one of the best things is there is a a sequence where he just swells up and all his clothes burst off and he's just standing there like three times the size he was.
0: I have Um, seen that exact sequence posted in GIF format a lot on Tumblr.
1: it's It's all there. And again, he wasn't willing. This wasn't something he, he signed up for. He was, he was kind of happy it happened, which I can agree with. Um, he doesn't want to be a superhero. Um, but it's that kind of thing that it's, it's forced upon you that keeps coming up again and again in, in these media, which makes it seem so much better.
0: I assume in this episode he was trying to get bigger anyway because I remember with the growth, he was in some tiny shorts and a vest anyway. So I assume it was just the plot yeah, episode. He was, working, he was episode. doing that thing
1: where he works out to to get bigger yeah and i know you discussed it in the prior episode for muscle growth but the dinosaurs episode steroids to heaven
0: oh well feel free to talk because when i had kr on he all the things i was saying to him were very foreign to him because he didn't grow up with that kind of media so go nuts
1: well i can talk about what i consider to be the seed which is my little pony etc etc but the one which is like reaching Nirvana and it's all there. And it's like, Oh, the the clouds part would be Mm -hmm. that episode of dinosaur stairs to heaven, because the muscle suit is so good. It's so lovingly detailed and carved. And it's, it looks like muscle, like not just cartoon muscle, but this is something that actually happened because it was like not a cartoon. It was like prosthesis and and yeah, just like the transformation that character went underwent in the episode, I think really lit a fire under me to go. Oh, I really want to do bodybuilding. I was I was a bit older when I saw that it came out in '93, so I would have been um, ten. You know, probably maybe saw it a few years later because we didn't have access to cable or Sky, whatever it was on. But I saw it later. I was like, oh my god, that's fantastic. And I would that's one I I didn't have it on VHS. So I felt really sad that. I could only watch it when I was on TV and then it was gone. It would be like that rare thing. Oh my God, it's dinosaurs. Is it going to be that episode again? No, okay, well, i interested. <laughs> if like the, the mythical episode where that I saw and that happened and it wasn't until the advent of getting the internet and getting together that I was able to get clips of it and go, oh, th- there it is. There's my, what do you call that? The, the white whale, the maybe dick, yeah.
0: The Holy Grail.
1: Um, the Holy Grail, yes. The thing
0: that really strikes me when I think about that episode is that he stays cloved the whole time because he's wearing this stripy shirt that is yes and it's, really it's like stretched painted out over it. onto his muscles it's not actually like it's, yeah. he's wearing a shirt but the way that it stretches it's carved yeah. entirely around his muscles and that was it's so nice to look at from that prosthetic standpoint to be like they're showing off those prosthetics, but without making it deliberately erotic. By sh- like take- yeah. having flesh on show, but yeah. So he didn't that- he didn't
1: do any sequence where he like got into the shower and whipped the shirt off or anything. Yeah, no, he was just at school. He was just bigger, but it's like this type like that reaction you, that people get even I can get as a bodybuilder. You see a a bodybuilder in in real life. You see them walking past the street in a t shirt, and it, it stops you for a moment because it doesn't look like anything else like a a, a, a bo- even a body walking down the street and they're huge and it's just visually takes you by surprise or takes you out the moment whatever your day is doing when you see that well i've been saying muscle.
0: i've been saying this kind of thing recently anyway with bondage um just to sidestep into something else but um mm-hmm. when someone wears a latex catsuit they're dressed for sex So when you tie someone up in a latex catsuit, it's kind of normalized within that situation. And with a bodybuilder, when they're in their posing pouch posing on the stage, that's the normal thing for them to do. But when you take someone just in their regular clothing and put them in bondage, or if they have muscle, it's taking them out of the world you're usually seeing them in and seeing them in a whole new context because they're outside of their usual world.
1: Yes. Very much so. So recently I've been
0: really aroused by seeing just people in regular clothes bound because that's more erotic to me because it's bizarre.
1: Yeah, I understand that. It's interesting. It's interesting what you said about body, you know, it's normal to see bodybuilders in like posing trunks and that's not sexual because going into competing as a gay man, you think, oh my God, I'm going into this environment. I'm going to be in a backstage room in just trunks with some... Very good-looking men, um, who are also really huge, um, and that's a turn-on for me. What's this experience going to be like? Am I just going to, you know, be aroused the whole time, and that's going to be really embarrassing? But what you actually realise really quickly when you get into competing is it just it's so normal. It's like everyone's there to compete and do an athletic event. The eroticism just flies away. It's it's not erotic. I didn't find it erotic uh, because you're focused on the athletic event and. You don't notice the sexuality. It's just about athletes doing a competition, if that makes sense. hmm And I always wonder if that's transfers to the audience. I mean, I know people do go to, to bodybuilding shows, and it's not just about you know, watching an athletic event. They're also watching because they like to look at muscular guys. But it's very it's really different to like going to... Um, a club where that's specifically what's on offer um, to just go and watch a bodybuilding show.
0: Well, lately on that whole topic of normalization anyway, when I go to fetish events and I'm dressed up in leather, rubber, whatever, I'm never really that aroused when I'm at an event because mm-hmm. the, the event itself is so normalized with everyone being that way. I kind of feel embarrassed to be aroused. Oh, But, I mean, I'm an asexual, so sex isn't really something I care about, but I enjoy looking at things, and that's Mm -hmm. where my kink lies. Whereas when I have someone in my own home and I'm tying up, uh, when I'm tying them up, that's really arousing to me because I've created this whole space, which is a safe space for me to be aroused. This is probably just a really sidestep away from what we were talking about, but just... It, yeah, you can over-normalise something to the point that it's no, it becomes just a job. Have you ever had that yes. with muscle yourself? Or have you really, it's constantly been an arousal for you? Because as you said, you've um, had to retire because of health reasons.
1: It's interesting. There's always been two sides to the coin. It's always definitely my number one fetish. But when you pursue it and you seriously pursue it, it becomes a job as well. It's like having a second job because it's full time training, mm-hmm. eating, supplements, etc. You have to take it seriously in that way. Um, but there'll always be for me that undercurrent of the fetish, of, of the sexual aspects of it. Um, and <clears throat> it's different when you're training alone as com- compared to say if you go to do some some workout with other people that share the fetish because mm-hmm. the energy will really change them um and it's you know you get people will get distracted and make comments and takes you out of that headspace of you know this is what you do as a, as a job you're doing it for a, a goal um and then it, you become more aware of the undertones of what you're doing
0: uh, if you don't mind me asking about your relationship with your partner on that subject mm-hmm. um because i believe he kind of acts as a coach for you is that true Am I making that up?
1: Um, no, I, th- I just think it's slightly wise cross. So I previously had a master who acted as a coach for me, and that mm-hmm. was a relationship I had with this person. Um, and my partner is a separate individual to that master. And my husband um, My has never acted as a coach. He was very supportive in my, all my bodybuilding endeavors. But I did at one point, yes, have a person who was in one, a coach and a master. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's just, it's really, it's always interesting to me to hear about people's BDSM relationships and how those fuel their different avenues of interest. I mean, like, I know lots of people who have had, um, they've got multiple kinks, and because of that, they've also had multiple people to fulfill those specific kinks. Um, ABDL, for an example, sometimes people will have a mommy or a daddy, which is separate mm-hmm. from their other relationships because of how intense that kink can be for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, all relationships are are built differently. People are built for different things. But one of the tenets of polyamory, uh, which I participate in, is that one person isn't going to be there to fulfill all your needs. It's perfectly fine to have different needs met by different people. And you're all happier as a result, more fulfilled, um, healthier than trying to put it all onto one person. Mm -hmm. And that's quite common in, in kink, I think. Um, that more people see things that way than just having a rigid, monogamous view of of their relationships and their sexuality.
0: Oh, I definitely subscribe to that school of thought myself, even with my partner. I know that I can't personally fulfill everything he wants. As an asexual, for example, I've always been very forward in being like, if you want sex, you can go other places for sex and I will mm. support you because I don't want you to be miserable or feel like you're missing out on anything. that seemed like a sane way to think for me
1: yeah and I think those of us that are already in the kink headspace will have a much more of a heads up and a realisation that that is the case I think we'll be preaching to the choir regarding that on on this podcast but um, just in case is anyone curious and listening out there maybe that sparks some ideas for you (laughs)
0: But um even there that's the power of media in itself because so many of us it's very hard to avoid but media always wants to promote a oh what's the word for a straight relationship
1: <laughs> Yeah well it, it promotes the the mainstream you say the mainstream version of events I'm trying to think of what the opposite um, of polyamory is monogamous
0: ah that's it that word yeah. See I think <laughs> yeah. about it so little it just it just fell out my brain
1: Monogamy, yes, but yeah, even even now, um, you, we see we do see more um, media presenting less mainstream options and promoting more inclusivity. Um, shows like Steven Universe are teaching children more inclusivity about gender and the spectrum uh, and all that kind of thing. So I think there's been a bit of a, a sea change in that in that regard.
0: And we are all thankful for it. Mm. So yes, let's get back to the muscles. What would you like to talk about next? We just spoke about the Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles, I
1: think. Yeah, we did that. Um, I was talking about gargoyles. Um, I think there's a very, very classic episode for anyone. The Nickelodeon era. Um, we'll be familiar with us, and that's the Cat Dog episode. Pumped? Did you watch Cat Dog?
0: I was one of those kids that didn't have those channels, but I would see them when I was over at like a friend's house because they did. So um, I'm uh, well aware of everything, like Dexter's Lab, Cow and Chicken. When I think about c- cartoons of that era and Muscle, yeah, I really remember. I don't know what episode it was, but it was a Cow and Chicken episode where Chicken was there with, like, a couple of his friends and they all suddenly became these mega macho beefcake army men?
1: Yeah, it was some kind of manly men exercise. I remember that one, I, but it was... I wonder if it, it's teaching the wrong thing about masculinity that episode. i we'll have to go back and check on that one. I'm going to um,
0: make a note right now because <laughs> I, I want to find that later on because it, I it, it's enough for me to remember it.
1: I actually in my head would sometimes get the plot of that one confused with the Timon and Pumbaa episode where he becomes a manly man because they were playing around in very similar spaces. It was about the transformation happened because they were somehow attaining manhood.
0: I, so please do carry on talking about um cat dog because I'm going to Google just to find out if those were the same writer.
1: <laughs> sure. Um But yeah, this cat dog episode was very very memorable because um, the protagonist, Cat Dog was being bullied by this gang called the Greasers and Cat comes up with this idea that okay, in order to get back and to stop being bullied he's going to start a workout regimen and he's going to buy these weight set and buys these protein shakes to get big and the show starts, he works out, he fails miserably, he's weak as anything and he tries the protein shakes and he hates the taste and then he looks down at his lower half which is dog and sees that dog is, is suddenly buffer for his efforts and dog's been drinking these shakes and oh i like the taste and they're making him swell up huge so he has this great moment where cats feeding him these shakes and he's getting bigger and bigger and he's doing poses like bodybuilder poses and filling up more of the screen and then they go to take on the bullies and dog just looms over the horizon with a very, very tiny sort of version of cat sticking out on top of him.
0: I was recently introduced to that exact episode because I've drawn a couple of things based on it because it made me laugh so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I remember specifically was that posing sequence, because there's this bit where he um, squeezes both of his pecs to make them bounce. Yes. And obviously that's one of my kinks anyway, but just when they do it in cartoons, it's so deliberate for the comedy value of it but it definitely imprinted on my brain as this is sexy
1: yeah i mean it's 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 they're always gonna grab someone's attention if you give them peck bounce and <laughs> the fact that they included it was was great um what, what would i have taken away from that episode just having watched it i mean just yeah the idea of drinking protein shakes that's gonna get you big with no effort um again cartoons lying um but just it was also I think the transformation dog dog becomes aggressive and dumb. Um I think that was one of the side effects, aggression. Um so is that again playing around that Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde space mm-hmm. the growth is accompanied by a change in, in character. Because the cartoons do do that, like you become big, you become dumb, or you become aggressive, but the real thing that happens with muscle growth if you achieve it in real life is is actually confidence. Really it's it's a confidence and then never show that in cartoons. I guess they, you know wanna give that message to people. But it's certainly the truth that if if you transform in that way, um not only become more physically powerful, more attractive, then people pay attention to you more and that's and listen to you more, um and that's a going to give you confidence to go forward
0: um i just googled and i can tell you that that cow and chicken episode and the timon and pumper episode were not done by the same writer
1: i wouldn't think so be unusual but they they were definitely playing around in the same space what was the cow and chicken episode called it was called
0: sergeant weenie
1: arms (laughs) god you see that's just the kind of stuff they came up with in the 90s isn't it i did actually send you a clip on telegram <laughs> ah yes ah yes and there there it is i remember it yeah yeah but um they were there was so much car there was so much more cartoon experimentation when the cartoon network and nickelodeon were around because they were competing it feels a bit more like with disney plus and that and cartoons are only coming out a few channels but Cartoon Network, you must remember, things like the Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, well, um, and Johnny Bravo, they were all original IPs,
0: uh-huh, and they all started
1: be- out with this series. It was a one-off set of pilots called What a Cartoon.
0: I've actually tried to submit work to that program before myself. Before I got into fetish, I was trying to get onto that, yeah. because um, it's all done by this one guy called Fred Siebert, who does mm-hmm. cartoons both with Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, but yeah it was just a golden era in the 90s where people were just submitting plots and if they were successful they got to do a pilot
1: yeah and so that was actually one of the things i uncovered in my memory archive it'll be on my spreadsheet was one of these cartoon episodes it had a one-off show of two characters called called fish and chip a fish was a shark chip was a, a cat and they were cops i understand and um it was a very very short sequence in this one pilot, which came out in '95, where these two characters, Fish and Chip, were chasing a bomb terrorist. And of course, it's a cartoon bomb, so every time one of the bombs went off, something amusing would happen. It'd be a slime bomb or an ice cream bomb or something. And there was one muscle bomb went off. So they, oh no, it's a muscle bomb, and bang, and they. Became raw. Oh, we are bodybuilders now. Really cartoon. Huge upper bodies, tiny lower legs. And um, funny enough, I remembered that the one sequence from this one show. I couldn't remember anything else about the episode or what the plot was, but I remember the muscle bomb went off and they became buff.
0: Could you actually remember the name of the show? Or did you have to go and look it up?
1: Um, no, I had to look it up. I was doing Google things like shark, cat, cartoon network, and things um so yeah i had to i had to look up uh, well congratulations
0: on your success with that because i i know myself that i've gone looking cartoons before and i can't find them because i'm so vaguely looking so well done
1: yeah i remembered enough details like there was a cat there was a shark um and they were police and funny enough this was getting me confused with the cartoon sharky and george do you know that cartoon? I don't. I'm going to Google it right now. Oh, it had the most classic um, theme tune. Sha- I could, <laughs> Sharky and George, the crime busters of the sea. Da-da-da-da-da. Sharky and George. Uh, honestly, just because it was a, a shark in this one that was also a police officer, I was for a, moment, also a while, I was like, is it Sharky and George? But no, Sharky and George was two fish visually it's
0: it's a... <laughs> visually sharky and george it kind of looks like what if the moomans were in the little mermaid
1: yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous but for some reason here i am 37 years later i can still play the theme song in my head why why does the brain hold on to these bits of information <laughs> i have no idea like somewhere in this fleshy brain maybe just holding on to that for some reason in case it's well it was useful i got to sing the song for everybody well i've
0: never heard of this before but that's my favorite kind of thing to be introduced to yeah
1: um i don't think there's anything fetishy within sharky and george but i'm prepared to be surprised
0: but they look friendly and i'm sure this was wonderful for your younger self yes but while we're on the topic of sea life i believe you also had a thing for street sharks.
1: Did I? Did I ever? Yeah, they caught my interest. Unfortunately, it was like later on, and I wasn't watching as many cartoons then. It wasn't like as acceptable for me to be around the house just sitting around watching cartoons. You know that kind of you're later on in youth where you're getting a bit older, and it's like you still have an interest in cartoons, but you you can definitely feel like people are going to start judging you for watching cartoons because it's not the cool thing to do. Does that ring any bells?
0: Absolutely. I actually experienced this just with the children's network here in the UK, because as, um... so we went from having analog TV where you had like five channels to then going to digital TV where there was like 60 yep. channels. Then you also had Sky and yep, whatnot. Yep. So because... Ooh, whatever, yeah. Because each channel was kind of getting its own channel for specific things, it stopped being that there was, like, two hours of kids programming in the morning on, like, Channel 2, and they then create a Mm. kids' channel for itself. And I think at that point, they stopped spending money on getting unique properties. Like, in terms of buying Mm. properties in from Cartoon Network and whatnot, because they had so many hours to fill up, they had to start creating their own stuff to fill it all. Mm -hmm. And... The cheapest thing to make seems to be game shows. So I went Mm -hmm. from seeing lots of cartoons to just game shows through my youth. And it was really sad, but yeah, like, just to reflect that whole thing of, like, cartoons kind of stopped being cool for a bit in the noughties.
1: But having said that, yeah, so we were talking about Street Sharks, so I didn't get to watch all the Street Sharks, but I definitely got to see enough and go, oh, I wish I could just sit around and watch them all day, (laughs) because... For some reason, Big Buff Sharkman, I found very appealing, very, I would say, very sexy. Um, but there was the episode where it practically plays out the same as the dinosaurs episode we just discussed. Um, there's a guy in it, he's the younger brother of the doctor, who sometimes helps the sharks, and he takes some strength-enhancing pills which are being provided by one of the villains of the episode. And there's um, a very short montage in the opening episode. She's like, I'm off to Europe for three months. I'll see you when I get back. <laughs> and then cuts, she gets back and he's like, huge. Hey, mom, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, my God, what's happened to you? It's like, nothing, mom. Just going to see you later. Go hang out with my bros. And she goes to the street shark. She's like, oh, my God, my boy's turned into this monster. You must help. I'm like, he's not a monster. He just, he looks good now. Leave the boy alone. Street sharks, just leave it. In fact, you should take some pills yourself. I mean, I'm i am looking at this
0: episode right now and that's barely any change at all in terms of like her freaking out like
1: that. He just... Oh, she, did, she had a proper freak out. And like I say, he looks bigger, but like, he looks healthy, but he doesn't look like he's got an extra pair of arms or anything.
0: I mean, like if he's had an out with the street sharks, I'd understand her freaking out if he became like... A mutant shark, but yeah, what I must is muscle growth against Christianity or something here?
1: Well, well, it's the same thing as the Dinosaurs episode, it's the moral messaging around steroids. Mm. It's the <clears throat> you can't take steroids, that's cheating, that's um, bad for you, bad, bad steroids, bad, don't pass go, don't do it, um, stay in school, kids. Kind of Sonic's gonna pop up at the end of the episode with the. Sonic thoughts. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly the very simple message of the dinosaurs episode. And the same thing in this Street Sharks episode. It's, it's about performance enhancing drugs. And I we want th- to get the youth very early to tell them that that is wrong.
0: I think I spoke about this with KR last time, though. But it's just like, there's so many moral messages in these old cartoons. But because they did such a strangely erotic job of it, it did not work at all.
1: Yeah, like I say, half the time when these transformations occur, and the characters like, "Oh, this is terrible." I'm like, "No, this doesn't seem that terrible to me. It looks kind of appealing." Uh, same with this moral messaging around you know, performance-enhancing drugs. Like, "Don't do this, or you could look like this." Like, but but you look like that. I'm not seeing the, the real <laughs> downside. You're just telling me not to. Um, uh, no.
0: I'm looking at your list right now and I see that you have some video games.
1: Yeah, I think it's useful to talk about video games. I know your your podcast is it's about cartoons, but video games are more like interactive cartoons. And I certainly think we were part of the video game generation that grew up with them.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think myself of any video games I uh, played and had an impact on me, but I was never much of a gamer myself because the first time I got a PS2 was like five years after the PS2 had been released. And I was Mm -hmm. very confused about it because the console I got was really, really skinny because they'd released the slim version and all my friends had the chunky ones. I thought I'd got the wrong console. That's how like non-connected with with video (laughs) games I was.
1: Right, yeah. But the thing about video games is we're seeing these cartoon representations on... On that, But when you get to a video game, it's, it's brought up a notch in terms of the level of detail they'll give the models and the animations and the characters. And Back in my day, playing on Super Nintendo and Sega Mega Drive, not so much. But once you start getting into the, 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 the PlayStation era, <clears throat> you're playing fighting games and there's going to be buff guys and there's going to be role-playing and all kinds of power-ups and things happening. So I think that definitely is going to have an impact on people becoming aware of what they're interested in in the world so what were you playing well one of the best ones for me was altered beast which uh, i believe was in arcades actually it was in arcades because that's when the first time i encountered it was in uh, a pub arcade in, in in devonshire um and the thing about altered beast is the power-ups are so over the top you start up with this little guy walking across the screen and you get the power up orb and suddenly his shirt explodes and he's got a <laughs> chest and he's like oh well, that's good i seem to have muscles now and then he gets the second one and he just explodes it's like three times the size it's, he looks ridiculous like power up and he's like you look at him you're like how are you even moving let alone throwing a punch you like, you should be immobile. And then the third one you get turns you into the altered beast. It, it makes you become a werewolf or a dragon or a, I think a, a tiger. And um, as a kid, I thought, like, oh man, I wish I could just find one of those orbs and I'd become a dragon or a bear and it would be, be great. Even just the second one. I mean, yeah. But I, I, I definitely love the animation. And of course, I can still do the sound effect. Power up. <laughs> um and even even little tiny teeny tiny things in video games for me like um there was the original earthworm jim game which i think was on both platforms but i played it on super nintendo and he's a he's a worm it's very it's, it's almost like a cartoon because it's so well done and he's in the space suit and it's an idle animation if you leave earthworm jim on screen without touching the it, it controls he does some funny little things and one of them is he just flexes and suddenly just the power suit he's in just bulks up three times in size and he can't move. He's, he's held in this flexing position going, oh my God, I can't move. Which I don't know why, it seems to have stayed in my memory bank.
0: I mean, I'm screen grabbing that right now because I'm watching it and that's really funny. I really mm. enjoy when people grow so big that their head kind of gets trapped inside their own pecs.
1: Yeah, that's a great one, isn't
0: it? Yeah, that is a very cartoony thing. I'm not entirely sure what Earthworm Jim is at all, but dang, that is
1: there you, gorgeous. Yeah, go. i got some nuggets for you. But yeah, Earthworm Jim was the most ridiculous thing. It comes out this Nickelodeon era of like cartoons are fun. You can just be wacky, whatever. He was There was this hyper-advanced spacesuit and a worm crawled into, you know, fell from space and the worm crawled inside and suddenly he becomes a sentient Earthworm... Superhero in charge of the suit, and he's got all these crazy villains like this cat from hell, um, a, a goldfish, mobster goldfish. That oh, that reminds me, yeah. So this mobster goldfish is kept in a tank, and he's carried around by this huge cat, this huge hulking henchman. I don't know what the cat's called, but I can picture him now. And he was a beefcake. He was good. I don't know what the villain was called. Otherwise, I'd, I'd Google it and look it up, but Oh, and the other thing about Earthworm Jim, which he actually did have a jacket on Hide thing. Because there was a side character called Pete the Puppy. And his thing, he's a cute little tiny puppy dog. Um, but then if he falls off a ledge or something happens to him, he turns into this big purple Hulk angry rage monster, which will attack you. So you have this episode, this level where you're trying to get pete the puppy from a to b without anything happening to him because if he falls onto the spikes or gets hit by someone he will turn into the rage beast and he will attack you <laughs> and that was a on i thing, and he's yeah it's, it's pete the puppy becomes bath so you got transformation so earthworm jim yeah funny he's got a lot to answer for are you googling that now
0: uh i was looking at the next thing on your list actually which was space ace
1: Oh, God, space. See, that's a deep cut. I don't know if anyone at all will be familiar with it, unless they're familiar with it as being one of the worst video games of all time.
0: I know that it's a video game that had the involvement of the guy who did um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Don Bluff.
1: Yes, that would would be. It's uh, claimed infamy that it did, and it had lots of um, hopes resting upon it. Um, so visually they were trying something very new, they were trying to make this animation style in a game that you could play, but they just forgot that you actually need to have a playable game, and people need to be able to play and do the levels for it to be an enjoyable experience. But the reason why it's on my list is, again, that power-up thing happening. Um, his one is more in the He-Man vein, I think. You've, he's a very nerdy, skinny, kind of wimpy character, and he gets his power-ups, and he becomes Space ace and he's, he becomes a Dorito shape, and, and he's got a square jaw and a very handsome guy. And um, for some reason, yeah, that can stick in my mind as just the music when you hit that power off. Doo-doo-doo, like, here I come to save the day, kind of thing.
0: <laughs> I was just watching some sequences of um, the character going from Twink to this super buff space hero. And it was reminding me of a other a film. It's not specifically muscle growth, but it's in the transformation vein. And just the way that this cartoon looks so cartoony. Uh, did you ever watch Fern Gully?
1: Fern Gully? No, I, I did not. I I've seen clips and bits and pieces of Bob, but I never watched the Thought thing.
0: Uh, well, it's a environment. I, know, I, watched, I
1: knew the bat rap by Robin Williams, right? Yes, it was. So that's the one I've, I've definitely been watching the bat rap. But what's what are you referencing in Fern Gully? Uh,
0: so the film's an environmental film about um, how big capitalistic companies are trying to cut down the rainforest. And then there's this magical tree that has magical fairies inside. And they're trying to stop mm. the cutting down of the forest. Um, but so in that, there's a fairy which shrinks down one of the guys who are trying to cut down the forest into like fairy size. Mm -hmm. and when she does that she keeps zapping him because she's a trainee fairy so she's not got all her magic in the right place yet and um, as she's doing that he keeps mutating into different forms of himself as he's shrinking down Mm. so he has like big elephant ears, a trunk he like turns into a big fat guy but it's just it's a really rapid animation clip and just the way that this space ace game is looking it's reminding me heavily of that yeah But of course, with um, cartoons, you can do so much squashing and stretching. And that's like the fun bits of animation where you can go from one extreme to the other. So the way that this guy is growing in muscle and the extraness of the acting in it, I'm really enjoying. It's, it's It's really space
1: camp. When you look at it, it's super camp.
0: Yeah, like there's this one clip where he's kind of hunched over, holding himself as he's growing, and then his legs grow really tall. And his ass pops out, and then suddenly he's a Dorito. But just, yeah, there's, there's some really nice choreo going on.
1: Well, they had fun making it. But yeah, that, that video game has a very bad reputation. It's been very unplayable. I mean, I did own it as a, a kid as, on my Super internet, i am being very frustrated with it. Very. And I'm <laughs> glad to know when I became an adult and whatever I encountered, people were reviewing it, that I was not alone. And this was a bad game. It wasn't me. Well,
0: thankfully, if you enjoy the cartoons now, you can just look them up on YouTube without needing yeah, to play the great. game at all. Yeah, I could see,
1: finally see how it ends. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, you get into the first couple of levels and you sort of give up. So I could see, I could go back if I wanted to and find out how Space Ace is supposed to...
0: Oh, I just love me some good animation. It gets me so excited. Oh, not even, a, yeah. not even like erotically excited. I just like seeing some good animation. Like, it's good theatre.
1: It's an art form, isn't it? I mean, I, I know some fetish artists like yourself uh, that do specifically um, play in the cartoon space. Um, there's some in the furry community and they don't just present fetish art, but it's also it's, it's cartoonified. It's specifically playing on those references of things that stretch and proportion, go crazy. Um, but it has an erotic undertone that obviously our cartoons didn't have.
0: But it's what those cartoons caused today. I mean, like the way, the reason that I'm the fetishist I am today is entirely because of all these cartoons,
1: hence the podcast. Yes.
0: Um, So yes, what else uh, is on this list that you'd like to talk about?
1: One we haven't covered is Space Jam. Because 90s kids like me, we do love our Space Jam. I know they tried They tried to do it again. You just can't capture that magic. It's lightning in a bottle, I tell you. Um, but yeah, this old original Space Jam movie, um, which starts off with just, you know, you average Warner Brothers crossover, sports crossover, and then suddenly... Did they do quite a few scene... then? No. Um, I mean, like, I uh, with sports
0: did. crossover, quite a common thing, because like, I know that Scooby-Doo does a lot of crossovers with um, the World Wrestling Foundation.
1: Oh, do they they oh. do
0: that's like seven films now where they've got like actual wrestlers featuring it's very odd
1: they oh, they found the thing that their fans like and they're running with it but yeah the, the scene where the monsters transform from the itty bitty tiny aliens to the monstrous huge athletes um very cool animation very cool scene i think there's a bit where like you know muscles are bulging and their their butt sticks out in a very comedic way in their shorts, and it's just like, well, this is happening.
0: Well, that's therapy for when I'm older, right there. Yeah.
1: Well, I I do, I I, I look at some things now, and particularly, I can look at things like Zootopia. I'm like, well, there's the next generation of furries. Some kid is watching this when they're like 10, 11, 12, and they're watching the tigers in glitter pants, and like, yep, they're into the tigers now. Sorry, mom, you took them to the wrong film.
0: And when they are older and discover Fur Affinity, they will see that lots of other people enjoyed those as well.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing. One thing I was thinking about in terms of discussion is, so as a kid, I developed this fetish and I felt very alone in that in my early years when I realized I had, it was a fetish for me. And 14, 15, and like, I felt like I was just weird. Like you're supposed to, it's either you're supposed to like Girls or you're supposed to like boys, either one or the two, and that's supposed to be what turns you on and just that. And I was turned on by this very specific thing, which was muscle growth. And I felt like, well, I'm just a freak. There's no one else like me. And to go and discover the internet and actually discover forums where there's a community of people into your specific fetish, like, wow, I had no idea this was so universal. And everybody's referencing the same things, like the Hulk or He-Man or even these like ninja turtles that I'd watched and you realize you're not alone and there's a bigger kind of universe out there of fetish um but I seriously grew up thinking I was just weird um well I still would be considered weird by the mainstream but I felt specifically alone in it like it was gonna be very uncommon and what I'm finding with muzzle fetish as you can tell you're doing your second episode on it it's actually a pretty common fetish as the way they go um so it's interesting the psychology of it to me the psychology is interesting as how we develop it and i think it really speaks to a more primal thing not just back in cartoons but the whole transformation power growth it's it's very very deep within us that we're going to respond to that well just like any
0: interest everyone's entirely into it for their own specific reasons so that's why i didn't really mind coming back to do a second episode about this so soon because mm. muscles it are a very common thing i mean like lately i've been looking at a lot of gay vintage magazines um where <laughs> back in the 50s and 60s before they could do porn they had to be physique magazines where you just had yeah, right. bodybuilders looking muscular to be aspirational imagery and like They weren't fooling no one. This was definitely for the gays. But um, yeah, big muscles have always been an interest for people. Straight, gay, whatever big is best. I didn't mind coming back to talk about it because obviously you're a practicing muscle fetishist
1: basically in real life. Yeah, that would be pretty accurate. And it's what um, I I would say founded my reputation on, but I definitely had no idea that you know, people were going to respond the way they did when I just basically started exploring it and enjoying it and presenting my journey um, and um, finding just to sort of share joy and community with other people in this fetish um, and that's really nice and I'll still get people write and say hey I found you on social media you're really inspiring me and I'm really glad that there's other people out there like me etc. So yeah that's what we're here for.
0: I mean, I'm talking about feeling alone within the fetish sphere. Like, I feel that very commonly with what I do because I am i don't really consider myself a furry artist. I'm happy to draw furries, but mm. because my interests are exclusively with human characters, because I'm always trying to put on these cartoon twister things, it's quite a new thing to a lot of people. Because they, there's a lot of people who are into rubber and leather who don't um, sashay into the furry world so i'm always sachet. <laughs> am i meant to say chante, which one is this yeah you get, you
1: get, i was like that took me out i was like wow sashay sachet. sashaying into furry
0: <laughs> um but yeah no because i'm introducing so many furry topics which are very common within furry world to a non-furry space people think i'm inventing these things when i'm not
1: yeah well furry. i, mean, I, I am a furry i've been in furry since the early days myself and it's very broad and very creative, the creativity in Furry is practically unrivalled I would say in other fandoms, just the different directions people go in and explore and use anthropomorphic animals to to demonstrate and to um, yeah, just explore and enjoy with and I'm not surprised that you, know, you get people going oh that's so weird, I'm like yeah I saw that in Fairy 10 years ago, that's nothing new to me.
0: Okay, so uh, I want to finish on us talking about commercials. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to send you a really weird advert right now, which was McDonald's were doing a He-Man commercial because they had He-Man toys.
1: And I oh. don't know if you've
0: seen this, but it's fucking weird.
1: You know? Yeah, I think I've come across this on someone's site once. I have, oh yeah, man. But that's the whole thing about He-Man. Oh, but McDonald's got a bicep as well. Um...
0: <laughs> so um, I just sent it... Bull a advert from 2003 where McDonald's was doing a He-Man tie-in where they were selling He-Man toys. And this was back in the era where they could actually advertise toys because um, in recent years, there's been all these regulations where they can't have toys on screen for like a very long time at all. It's it's all very strange. Um, but yeah, so... There's He-Man toys, and there are two kids, and they're eating fries and their Happy Meals, and then the parents come in, and suddenly the kids are flexing with bodybuilder bodies, which have been kind, like photo imposed on. It's it's so strange and foreign to me, just how it got through like a committee.
1: <laughs> well, it's a very striking visual, um, and you have to remember. Like who are they? Who are they targeting? Are they targeting the parents of the kids, or are they targeting the kids? I wonder. This one <laughs> seems to be actually hitting both, because isn't isn't it like, like if they're selling this food, this fast food, which is not healthy, is junk food, but they, through He Man, they're able to package it with this image of health, muscles flexing, like Popeye, spinach. It's like uh-huh. you know, it's that visual is there. So the parents say it's like subconsciously, even though it's junk food, like, oh food for my kids They grow up to be big strong boys, drink their milk kind of thing. Um and the kid what the kid sees is toys. I get to have a toy and I get to be buff, maybe. Um it looks fun. I get to have fun with my friend and we're gonna plan to be Superman. And so they really I mean I took media studies, so I can... The first thing I think is, like, who are they marketing to? And I can see it's actually hitting both markets there.
0: You know, that's just one of the weirdest McDonald's adverts I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> uh, but I, I don't... I don't know why they need Ronald McDonald to flex at the end, because you didn't say Ronald McDonald flexes at the end, and he has a 22-inch bicep as well <laughs> under his stripy sh- shirt. So suddenly he's like Pennywise, who can shapeshift an alter's body at will.
0: I don't know. Give it another 10 years and... Um mcdonald's may very well be doing protein shakes
1: oh yeah they may do now yeah but not back in 2000 no no
0: not then shifting from cartoons to video games to adverts um what's all
1: media it's all we oh yeah we we were exposed to yeah
0: i mean um on weird adverts it's not muscle related but there's this one advert i remember actually being recorded on a vhs because um obviously you know back when Films were on TV and you would record it on a VHS, the original pirating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a... And it had the adverts in it and you'd have to uh-huh. fast forward through the adverts.
0: Of course, but sometimes you would just leave it on because you were too lazy to get up and click hmm. the fast forward button.
1: Or Sometimes you actually enjoy the adverts. Like sometimes I would leave the adverts on just because I liked them. The, it's
0: a really common thing actually at the moment where podcasts and different things where they're watching old media they find recordings of the original viewings of it from the TV so they can enjoy the adverts and, like, just see a window into time of that time, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. But, yeah, so there's this one advert which was on a recording I had of The Sword in the Stone. Uh And I think it was a Nike or an Adidas advert, but it had this woman running down the street whilst a giant glob, like, sphere of fat was chasing her, with the belly. song belly's gonna get you
1: belly's gonna get you i knew exactly as soon as you said it and it was it, i think the belly went belly
0: belly belly belly's gonna get you <laughs> yeah just like weird adverts definitely have the most impact on you but that one stayed in my head for decades
1: um it, it wasn't i don't think it was nike i think it was um because for a time there was companies like i think like tizer and stuff would deliberately doing just weird stuff just for the impact of the visual impact there was a marketing strategy that if if you just presented some people with a memorable image and then just flashed your product up at the end that that would work um i'm trying to remember who who did the belly's gonna get your ad but i don't think it was nike oh, i was re it was reebok you're right But an advert I I always go back to in the sphere of what we're talking about, the old Sugar Puffs commercials. Do they still have the classic kind of Sugar Puffs thing where I want my honey and they just hulk out? Is that a thing anymore in modern Sugar Puffs?
0: I don't remember. I think they they still have the Sugar Puff Monster, but the thing is they actually renamed the cereal to like Honey Monster Rose. What? Well, because the... It was because the mascot became the character and it didn't really associate with Sugar Puffs as a title.
1: I'm just flabbergasted. First you get rid of Woolworths over there since <laughs> I've been gone. Then you leave the EU, Brexit, and now you've renamed Sugar Puffs. I just... I what don't what is recognize... this country coming to? What is it coming to? Absolutely. So yes,
0: what about the uh, Sugar Puffs commercials um, stayed in your head anyway?
1: Um, so what I experienced as a kid was just a whole series of sugar puffs commercials where it was yeah just you got this kid and he wants sh- sugar puffs and he's denied the sugar puffs and so he just goes i want my honey and he just explodes into a yellow <coughs> monster and i that's a growth thing right there and um i was like well i would just like to on a whim just turn into a yellow fairy monster um why, where was I when this power was being handed out? Because it seems quite common, because all these children all around the country in the adverts, it was happening. So I was like, where was I when this magical power was giving you an animal? In fact, I wasn't allowed sugar puffs because they were considered unhealthy, unnatural garbage. Food. Well, they are bright
0: yellow. Well, There's definitely not something saying healthy about that.
1: No, so my parents were more health conscious, like, no, no, you can have the cornflakes and the old bran.
0: I mean, I'm watching the advert right now and it definitely hits on the tropes you've mentioned before of being starting points for you with the whole cloves bursting, growing too big to contain.
1: Yeah, the clothes ripping and the Incredible Hulk. I'm really
0: curious how they actually went about filming it. Like, I want to know the (laughs) movie-making skill behind getting... You know, just like how those big holes start to appear as muscle grows? Like, oh, there's got to be a documentary somewhere. quite (laughs)
1: skill. Yeah, I mean doesn't happen like that way in real life. I can tell you someone that's done hulking out and stuff. So to frame the shot and capture it and to actually, yeah. I mean, I even think about how they must have done it for the old Lufaringo Hulk stuff. That's very cleverly done. I
0: just sent you another advert actually, which was related to Street Sharks, where it's it hits on a lot of my interests. So hunks in tubes... And then weird prosthetics. And in this Street Sharks commercial where they're selling the Street Shark toys, there's this really weird c- CGI moment where they morph one of the hunks into a toy. Yeah. And there's a really weird it, 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 middle it's an object kind of thing. And if you go back and just um, freeze frame it throughout, you can see that they put on some prosthetics onto him. Yes. As they transition him. And it's just, it's so unusual. And you don't get commercials like this anymore. But I remember this one really vividly
1: i'm not surprised i mean it's got a lot going on for it but yeah i, I if i've if been exposed to this as a kid i would have as well so it's got the the science the the forced transformation thing like no please don't turn me into a street shark or that this guy's like don't turn me into a toy <laughs> um this commercial could be only be improved if the kids were playing with the toys and suddenly they turned into the sharks as well but like oh my god curse shark toys
0: they need to talk to the mcdonald's people
1: <laughs> they do, I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe there can be a um, non-canon fan commercial we can we can write.
0: <laughs> but, you know, eighties and nineties for toy commercials are oh, banging.
1: Well, actually, eighties and nineties for toys in terms of body image. I think I've been reading some stuff where they they talk about the He-Man physique and the superhero physique and toys of that era. Um, impacted a lot of boys' body image because when you do look at these toys, even the Street Sharks and everything, the they are so big. They're, un, they're not just bodybuilders; they're not just pro body. But like, there's just stuff that doesn't exist in real human anatomy, and kids are playing with it as toys in that era. And I, I could probably say, yeah, that had an impact on my body image and expectations.
0: I mean, Street um, Sharks, Extreme Dinosaurs, um, Thundercats. There's a whole era of cartoons there, of course, where they all have this very specific muscle body. And now we're going through this era at the moment with reboots, where they're reviving these franchises. And it is interesting that they've kind of removed those bodies from it to make them more normal. I mean, I don't know if you've watched the new She-Ra series.
1: Not the She-Ra, but I did see the new He-Man. Well, they kept the
0: muscles in that, but that's like just part of the damn franchise.
1: (laughs) Well, they did muscles, but they, well... (laughs) If we go off-sync, off-piece, but it was a very, very bold choice from Kevin Smith to do a He-Man show without He-Man.
0: <laughs> um,
1: Teela, I appreciate the story.
0: Teela, the um, woman who was the main character in the reboot, was actually voiced by Sarah Michelle Gellar, if you didn't know. Oh. That's just fun. a fun little fact. I didn't know that. I watched the whole thing I and I didn't recognise.
1: Same. same these. Oops. I'm not so much of a Buffer fan as I thought. Um, but yeah, very. But you're right. The... They, they do redesign these things for a modern palette um, and they have taken into consideration um, if you want it to be taken more seriously they, they tone down the extreme aspects that but these shows have.
0: It's undeniable that the He-Man body shape was a stunning toy. Like if they, if they were regular shape they would have looked like the other toys and um, I mentioned yeah. this last time with KR but there's this great series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us and they talk about He-Man yeah, on that, it yeah. and ah. Oh, love it anyway i think we've come to the end of your list there unless there's anything we else you'd like much to screen out
1: very well done yeah so
0: thank you so much for coming onto the show and uh, you got me very excited about muscles you you know your muscles
1: thank you for having me a uh, pleasure chatting and um obviously it's something i could talk at length about i always have been able to um not usually with someone so enthusiastic so thank you very much
0: (laughs) well i might have to have you back at some point to talk more about the macro fetish of growth
1: okay yeah you're probably saying that
0: that's definitely a micro genre within
1: growth overall because that growth is i think the umbrella fetish and then from that you've got subsections. so there's there's the muscles there's macro there can be weight gain which usually is just sort of Passive body types. I do plan um, to do
0: an episode on weight gain at some point. I'm just looking out for the person to talk to about it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. Because
0: I'm... Um, obviously, no one has a PhD in these fetishes, but there are some people who have that, like, professor energy of, I know this kink.
1: This is my specialist subject. I'll, I'll go and mastermind and I'll kill it.
0: <laughs> so, um, yes, before you go, the <clears throat> question I ask all my guests, the show is called Fetish Fuel. If I was to hand you a glass of fetish fuel, what would it taste like? What would it look like?
1: Oh, I should have been prepared. Well, it it would be a protein shake in my case. That I
0: would. I knew that was going to be your answer.
1: <laughs> it was that so unimaginative. It's come on, it has to be. It has to be, um and it would have to be chocolate because that's what protein shakes in these cartoons are always. They're always chocolate flavored um would it be a big gulp yes very big manly gulp well that's
0: lovely that's absolutely what i expected it to be um in the cat dog cartoon we were talking about i think it was called like the super duper choco mega mix the can that they <laughs> were drinking yes so clearly you want to order a crate of that
1: absolutely
0: oh, well thank you so much for coming on to the show to talk about all of this would you please let my audience know where they can find you on the internet
1: uh well the main place i will appear on social media is on twitter uh find me with my twitter handle xxxl underscore bull well i guess i will see everyone on the next episode
0: god knows what fetish i will be touching on is there any fetishes you're waiting for me to get into
1: um i'd be interested in the weight gain one um And transformation, I think you can do one on just transformation, because there's a lot of people that will be specifically into that, not just with growth, but turning into animals, turning into inanimate objects, Um, there'll be a lot of stuff to touch upon in that in in cartoons i think
0: oh absolutely i've actually got a couple of people who i'm waiting to hear back from because there are a fair few artists specifically that i follow who touch on transformation quite heavily um if you don't follow them i will give a shout out to them here but definitely redflare500 on twitter who does a lot of rubber transformation stuff and also royal poodle they both do some great furry tf stuff it's oh cool yum 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 so yes um Goodbye, and I'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Fetish Fuel, hosted by pup Silver, guest starring Bull Delamotte, produced by Matt
1: Clark.